What's up? What's up? What's up? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Never know what to say. Never know how to start it. No, not really. Let me. You know what? Let's let's start it like this. I know that um, last show we talked. uh, We had a bit of a conversation. I think towards the end of the show about um, the fact that there was a no. There hasn't been a no time to die trailer. So. Uh, still haven't gotten a trailer, but we did right. know the the uh, the composer was announced. Um, what's his name? Dan or Don Dan Fromer? Fomer? I think it's his name. Right. It's uh. Well, no, Dan Romer. Dan Romer, not Fomer. Dan Romer. R O M E R. Yeah. Um, Dan Romer is out. So, and you you know more about this than I do, but there's and I because I I listened to I heard um a bit of his stuff on uh the james bond radio podcast um mm-hmm. and incidentally if any of you guys are like die hard you know live and i'm about to say live and die live and let die um type of you know <laughs> die hard right. um bond fans definitely check out the james bond radio podcast um i highly recommend it but i was listening to them and they talked a lot about dan romer um played some of his music so that was like the first time i like really listened to some of his stuff but you then they they they, like the same day that show dropped they also there was a rumor um that he is no longer associated with the with the with the uh film like he may no longer be associated with no time to die and i don't think that rumor has been confirmed or not confirmed at this point on at the point of this recording but you had something to say about that because you know more about this i think you know more about this guy than i do well, a little bit more. I mean, I had uh, I was familiar with him because he scored Beasts of No Nation, uh, the Netflix. Right. He's show so he's, he's someone familiar in. with because uh, Carrie Fukunaga directed that as well. Right. Mm. right. And and um, uh, a lot of fans are hoping that David Arnold uh, is brought back and David Arnold uh, scored what, like six Bond uh Films. He's, yeah. he, I know he scored Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, The World Is Not Enough, Die Another Day, Tomorrow Never Dies. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if he's done another one. Probably and, considered um, second, I mean, you know, distant second behind John Barry as far as like great, you know, because John Barry obviously is the architect mm-hmm. of all the Bond mm-hmm. sound. But um, this guy, I mean, or David Arnold's probably the, the heir to that, right? Yeah, I would think so. So, I mean, I'm wondering if it, if it was Eon's call to... Um, to assuming that it's true, you know, the, to to not use uh, Romer. Um, maybe they'll go back to David Arnold. Maybe they'll tap, like, I was thinking maybe they could tap somebody if they wanted somebody new, mm-hmm. like uh, Michael uh, uh, Giacchino. Or mm-hmm. Gia, yeah, I think it's Giacchino is the correct pronunciation of his name, mm-hmm. who scored Rogue One and uh, Mission Impossible 3. Uh, and he also did the Star Wars, uh, not Star Wars, forgive me. The Star Trek films. Mm-hmm. Now, Someone that can do scale. Someone scale. that knows how to do thematic scale. Have and, you? Are you? Have you heard any Romer's stuff? Have you heard any of his, his work on? I mean, you. Oh, so you said Beasts of No Nations. So you are. Yeah, Beasts of No Nations. What did and, you think uh, about? I mean, what do you think about him? Because this is just um, a rumor. He may still be. You know, he may be yeah, still attached to the film. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't hear that same kind because he's done a couple of other um, Netflix. Maniac. Uh, he did. Yeah, he did the Kerry Fukunaga Maniac, which I, I heard there was a yeah, couple Maniac, tracks. Yeah, there's a couple tracks they played from Maniac on James Bond radio radio podcast, and I, the couple ones I heard weren't bad, man. One of them in particular, I wish I had it in front of me, but it was on the Maniac um, score, and not necessarily that it had a James Bond like you know you could just slap it on a James Bond movie, but it had that epic you know feel to it. I was I was kind of digging it. But you mm. felt like there was the scale of his stuff in Beast of No Nation. It just wasn't 
it wasn't up to James Bond level. Is that what you're saying? Up to that tempo um, movie level? Yeah, that's not that's not what I was hearing. I mean, it sounded it sounded good on the small screen, mm-hmm. and I'm calling Netflix the small screen. Mm-hmm. But you know, on the big screen, it just didn't have his 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 material just didn't have that 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 umph that mm-hmm. broad umph mm-hmm. that James Bond brings. Because you know, a lot of uh, from my view, when I watch a Bond film, it's it is James Bond who's like the most obvious spy that's ever been created, <laughs> right, right. right? But it's also the locations. It's also the locales that he's in. Right, which is what Barry did best as far as combining, bringing in those locales into the music, yeah. yeah. And I don't, I, did, I don't hear evidence of the locale mm-hmm. in, in, in Romer's material. Mm-hmm. Giacchino, for example, he scored Star Trek. Mm-hmm. He's also scored Rogue One. Great, he's also Rogue scored. One, if I recall correctly, it was a great score. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. also scored. Interestingly enough, Pixar films, mm-hmm. the, both Incredibles films, um, um, Inside Out. You know, there's 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 a lot of pliability. I mean, he's got right. some range. Right. It brings up, you know, it brings up two interesting things of to me. That, like what you just said made me think of these two things. One is that with us moving into this streaming, you know, world and Netflix and other streaming platforms actually becoming studios in the sense of like, you know, with the Irishman or um, mm-hmm, other, you know, mm-hmm. movie film properties that are de- debuting, not necessarily debuting in, on streaming first, but they're primarily made for streaming services. Does that change the, the, the necessary scope of, you know, the score, you know what I'm saying? Cause scores are made for those, you know, to be enjoyed in a theater. Um, does it change when, you know, people, not as, not just that people are watching this at home, but a lot of people are going to be watching these films for the first time on their iPhones, you know what I'm saying, or mm-hmm. on their Android mm-hmm. devices, whatever. Um, so does that change anything? Um, but I don't know if, you know, the second, secondly, I don't know if, like I said, I don't know if Romer's been detached from this film, but I wonder, you know, if you, if you saw that teaser that we talked about last episode, the James Bond, the teaser, like the, um, this uh the sizzler track or, or real yeah. or whatever from their filming in um jamaica, jamaica. you know they used i believe it's called boom shot something it was a you know a reggaeton or a reggae mm-hmm. song and it was like it just you know it it, it modernized bond immediately you know when you when you heard that track and then to put it in the context of that setting you know and it set a tone it wasn't like you're gonna you may mm-hmm. not hear that on the soundtrack obviously or the score obviously but it was like, okay, this is going to be slightly different than Skyfall or, you know, Spectre. You know, yeah. it's like, you're going to, this is, you know, Kerry Fukunaga's take on this or the, the tone that he's setting is going to be different than the last few films we've seen. And for him to go out and get the guy he's worked with before, I feel like he's, that's a, an extension of what he's trying to do. So if it turns out that Eon wasn't feeling that or for whatever reason, the guy stepped away, that Romer stepped away. Um, that's the story I'd be interested in hearing. Like, why did that happen? But it, it also wouldn't be surprising, like I said, if it's just a rumor and we do get, you know, a, a Dan Romer um, soundtrack or score out of this. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think it's vital for uh, a, a score from a Bond picture to incorporate these different styles of, of local music, you know, where they can, you mm-hmm. know, like, uh, like, for example, so in, in uh, David Arnold's score mm-hmm. for Casino Royale, okay, the opening sequence where Bond is chasing um, a man through the construction site and base and, and, and corners him in the embassy, right? Mm-hmm. They're in Madagascar. Mm-hmm. And the name of the piece that's played under that sequence is called African mm-hmm. Rundown. 
not specific, very general to the continent mm-hmm. itself, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's like, you know, a code word to be able to throw a massive amount of drums in this music. And anytime that you hear a score and it's centered around black people in some kind of way, you know, it's just this exposition of drums. And now that, that was the problem. <laughs> Let's make it sound like it's in the jungle. Because like, <laughs> is that what they did? You know, that was a problem that right. I had with um, uh, Gornson, um, Ludwig right. Gornson, um, who scored Black Panther. It's like seventy percent mm-hmm. of that album is like just drums, drums, <laughs> drums, drums, drums. And it's like Black Panther. It was like take you know when you're in uh, uh, Wakanda, you're in a modern city. You right, know what it's right. like. You know, let's just throw drums at it. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's really ironic because uh, the whole thing about the production of Black Panther was that it was an amalgamation mm-hmm. of African cultures, you know, um, right. what the cities except, looked like, except, what the dress yeah, was, what the language the was and everything, except for the music. You know, there was there was no evidence. There was no Afrobeat, mm-hmm. no evidence of high life or 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 uh, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Saleg, um, which, you know, was a popular, going back to Madagascar, you know, a popular form of music in Madagascar at one time. It's like, don't even have these musical cues at Right, all. with the context of where you're at, yeah. And more than that, it brings us into that This is drum, 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 drum. You know, it sounds like, it sounds like Kong is coming for, uh, you know, <laughs> right. for, the, for the sacrifice. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it's just, I just think it's, it's just lazy. I was going to say, I think that's what John Barry did that's one of his, that's one of one of the things that made him a genius was the fact that he would combine the elements of the location, then also combine the elements of the narrative. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. Um, before we get into the uh, couple things, before we get into the heart of the show, um, one thing I want to ask you, okay, Disney Plus is imminent, man. This is as we record this, it's November, it's November third. So. Disney Plus, this 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 show drops November sixth. Disney Plus drops November twelfth. Um, so only six days after after you guys are hearing this, Disney Plus will have launched. Um, Arthur is pre ordered. I've yet to. I'm about to. I, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm I'm writing a note to myself. I'm gonna do it right after we stop recording. Today. I'm pre ordering. So let me ask you, what are you? Okay, day one. They've already released like, you know, they released three hour video showing what's going to be on there on day one. They got, you know, a list have gone up like here's all the shit that's going to be on Disney Plus day one. A lot of unreal content, you know, a lot of superhero comic book, you know, uh, sci fi fantasy like content is going to be on there. So what are like day one? What are you doing? You know, obviously, okay, Mandalorian drops. Let's get that out the way. Mandalorian drops. First episode of Mandalorian drops. So we know we on that day one. So what else like day one, day week one, you know what I'm saying? What are you on week one? Yeah. Well, okay. And I I know I mentioned this in a previous episode, but, um, um, the black hole from 1979. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did mention uh, that. Starting the late, uh, Robert Forster, um, Anthony Perkins is in it. Um, Maximilian, the red robot. Um, that was just like fantastic movie. I've been waiting to see that for, I've been waiting to see that for years because you can't find it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Cause this happened. Cause I got a list of a couple things I'm going to dig. And one of my things is that when you were in elementary school or middle school or whatever, 
did you guys used to have like not necessarily assemblies, but like if something happened special or whatever, they would just send everybody to the like if I don't know if the weather was bad and you couldn't go yeah, outside we, yep. for mm-hmm. recess, so you'd have to go into the auditorium. And then they would just play some random ass movie and it would be <laughs> a lot of times it was those Disney movies like that, like Black Hole, um, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth or whatever, uh, Escape to Witch Mountain. You know what I'm saying? It was like those were the type of films I remember back in the day. And it was like there's that one where the dude turns into a dog or something like that. I forgot the name of that movie, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you, remember, you remember that? You remember that? So all those like Disney movies, they used to make us watch like an assembly or, you know, if the teacher, your teacher was absent and the sub didn't know what the hell they were doing, they would just play a movie. All those are going to be on Disney Plus. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. So you going? That's but that's like the genre. That's one of the genres you get into. What what else are you watching? It's more of a wish list item, but I really wish that Disney Plus had the the Muppet Show. Is that is that Disney? Mm-hmm. 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 There was um oh, there was going to be an original show to be created, but they they scrapped that recently. But man, I mean the the Muppet Show more more than anything was is is what I want to see because like Scooter like Scooter that that was that was my guy. Okay. Oh hell yeah, Scooter Animal. Yeah. Um, the two dudes up in the balcony. Um, yeah. If the Muppet Show is on there, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now that after Mandalorian, that's what I'm gonna be on. So I'm looking at the list now, and um, yeah, I don't see the Muppet Show, man. Damn. Ooh, man, that's that. I didn't, you know what? Until you said that, I didn't know that they owned that they had the rights to the Muppets. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's top of my wish list. And then uh, a close number two would be the unaltered Star Wars films, episode four yeah, through you six. Keep wishing for that, bro. That's not. I don't. I don't I think. It's, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think when Lucas, when George Lucas sold the um, Disney, gave you know Lucasfilm to them. I think that part of the deal was that they would only broadcast or show, you know, his joints or the edited joints. Um, but, you know, who knows what can happen? But I, I you know, I, I would think the only way to see those originals is like if you got a VHS of them. Um, I don't even think they're on DVD. Um, so, OK, so that's that's what you want for on day week or week one. Right. So yep. for me, like I said, those um, kind of like, you know, assembly school assembly type movies, I, <laughs> I'm going to check those out. And then um, there's a couple of films, man, like there's a couple of unreal films that I want to go back and revisit because I didn't love them the first time. Um, one of them I actually uh-huh. hated and one of them I really didn't like. And then one of them I just didn't love. So, um, you know, I'm a Thor head, you know, I'm a Thor guy. So oh, yeah. Thor, the dark world. I've seen twice all the way through. It's it's the one, it's the sequel, it's the second Thor film, and it's the one that's the most maligned. You know, um, the first Thor film, Kenneth Branagh's uh, original Thor film, I think is one of the best MCU films, period. I'll, I'll defend that against anything. I think Thor Ragnarok was so good and got so much love that a lot of people just ended up hating on all the Thor movies. And if you, ha- if you haven't seen the first Thor film, you really need to go back, if you haven't seen it in a while, you really need to go back and check it out because Kenneth Branagh's um, the story of basically, you know, Thor um, getting taught humility um, of, you know, Loki's arc in that story, the relationship between Loki and Thor and the relationship between the three of them, between Loki, Thor and Odin, um, especially, the you know, the, the penultimate scene um, between the three of them, which mm-hmm. I won't spoil if for some reason there's someone out there that hasn't seen the first Thor film. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would highly recommend that when this you know becomes that when you get your disney plus subscription that you put the first thor on there but 
for me, Thor The Dark World, the second film, um, was not a good movie, bro. It wasn't. It wasn't. Have you, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, but you probably haven't seen it in a long time. I have. Um, I have. No, I saw it recently just to rewatch okay. it. But uh, it's, it's, it's yeah, not a good it's, movie. It's, but it has some good moments. It has some good part. And it's there are some key moments in there that are very important for the rest of the MCU. Um, for the rest mm-hmm. of, you know, the first three or four phases, the, three phases of the MCU. So um, I want to go back and watch that. Also, um, I want to go back and watch a movie called John Carter. Did you ever see John Carter? Never I saw thought John we saw, Carter. I thought I could have sworn. I know Paris. I know I took my son to see that, but I thought you and no. Kasim and maybe even your wife was there. But OK, I made that up. So it was just me and my son, maybe. But I remember seeing John Carter in the theater and being highly disappointed. I was a fan of the John Carter books, the Edgar Rice Burroughs books um, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. when I was a, a preteen, really. I read um, all the Tarzan stuff and I read the the John Carter stuff, which is, you know, John Carter of Mars. Okay. Um, so mm-hmm. I was hyped about, you know, Disney making this film and I, I remember seeing it and being very, very disappointed. But since then, I've only seen it once. That was the only time I saw it was in the theater. Since then, I've read different things and heard different people talking, saying it's, you know, it's worth a second chance. It's worth a second look. Um, there's, you know, it was it was basically a overlooked film, um, undervalued, blah, 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 blah. I've heard that. So I actually want to go back and check it out and see if there's anything to that. Um, so that's on my list. Um, lastly, um, Star Wars Attack of the Clones. Um, I've only seen that movie once, bro. I've only seen it once. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen uh, Phantom Menace several times. Mm-hmm. I've seen Revenge yeah. of the Sith several times. I've only seen mm-hmm. Attack of the Clones once. Um, and since then, I know it's been what two decades almost since then, since uh, Attack of the Clones, since the prequels. And so I feel like yeah. I need to see that with you know my eyes at this age as opposed to you know when i saw it the first time not saying that again just like thor the dark world i don't think my opinion is going to completely do a 180 and i'm just gonna be like oh this is the greatest film i don't think that but i do feel like some of the things i've heard about it you know since then i feel like i need to to go back and check it out just to maybe appreciate things i didn't appreciate the first time and maybe even Mm -hmm. to help me understand the universe the star wars universe a little bit more than i do now um but I, you know, there's some key scenes. I remember the battle. I think that's the one where it has all the Jedi versus the, the um, not necessarily is not versus the Sith, but you know, all the Jedi together um, versus the uh, uh, the clones. Well, they're in the yeah, they're in the arena. Yeah, they're in that when, arena. Uh, Who are they fighting? Those Padme they're fighting. And, well, Padme, Pat, uh, Anakin got Padme and Obi Wan. Yeah, it was a stupid. It was a very bad up, CGI, and they were chained you know, in CGI a CGI thing with the animals. I remember that they were riding on top of that was yeah. dumb. But then when all the Jedi showed up, it was like oh shit, you know, it was kind of dope. Right. Um. So I, I want to go back and see that. I want to go back and see the whole thing with um Obi Wan and uh you know his because yeah, Camino. Camino. I want to see that as well. So that's yeah, the, the Camino list. scenes. It's a it's a it's a it's a key scene to understand. Uh what the clones are, where they came from. It introduces uh, Boba mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a clone. And yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. useful. So, and, and number one on my list of things for Disney plus um, week one um, outside of the Mandalorian is going to be star Wars rebels. I've been waiting, mm-hmm. you know, star Wars, I, you know, I'm a huge, huge clone Wars, star Wars, clone Wars fan. Um, Star Wars Rebels, for whatever reason, when it was airing on, I think the Disney, whatever the network that was airing on, um, XD, XD, 
It was on Disney yeah, XD. For some reason, I just, I don't know why, I just did not watch it on Disney XD. And then I was like, okay, I need to go back and catch up. And it was just... Yeah, it really gets into it. gets in, gives you a little backstory on the Mandalorians because right. Sabine, so one of the main very, characters, it was just is very prohibitive as far as the way they is the way they set it up as far as how you could see it. You know, it was like hard to watch on. Uh-huh. You know, you basically had to go on iTunes and buy all the shit. You know, to watch to see it. You didn't <laughs> catch it on XD. Um, so it was yeah. like I didn't do that, and so I've been waiting for this this moment where finally I can just sit down and just blow through. You know, Star Wars um, Rebels. That's number one, and that I think will lead us into our. Our first, um, the main, t- our first main topic of today. So you want to do the, uh, go ahead and do the intro so we can get into the show. Oh yeah, this is Mad Unreal episode five. Let's go. I'm, I'm kind of happy to say this because I think it's gonna be the last time we can talk about these dudes. But, um, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn, um, damn. Are you are you a are you a Game of Thrones fan? Did you watch Game of Thrones? Yeah, okay, all right, yeah. Sorry. But go ahead. Yeah. I, I interrupted you. We need to say who 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 we are actually talking about. Uh, Benioff and Weiss um, are officially exiting the Star Wars universe. They have announced that they are going to step away from the project of doing the next film, the next Star Wars trilogy. film after. Uh, oh God, that's right. It was a yeah, trilogy, it was wasn't it? Because it was in early 2018. I think it was February 2018 when Lucasfilm announced them as, "Hey, they're going to be, you know, after we get done with the Skywalker shit, they're going to be taking over and doing the next trilogy." Yeah, and I, you know, I just think that this is indicative of of the recent announcement that Feige is going to do a Star Wars film, and um, you know, I, I I think Lucasfilm just sort of has to figure out what they're going to do next. Um, you know, it could be a, like that a lot of their attention also is focused on Disney plus mm-hmm. too. They, uh, they, of course they got the Mandalorian coming out and then they have, um, um, Cassian's, uh, show mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan's show that, uh, have been announced so that they would be planning on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe they should just, you know, take a minute <laughs> and focus you know, on oh, oh, these other properties before they think of, you know, what the next trilogy needs to be. Because Feige, I don't think Feige is going to do a trilogy. Feige, Feige is at least doing one film, right? Well, Wasn't that the announcement? That's, that's the announcement. That's, but that's the question I want to ask you is that, do you think, like you're saying, okay, this move is indicative of Lucasfilm wanting to focus on this, that, and the third. Is this... Let's back up for a second. This Because there's been... Over the last three years, there's been so much, you know, this is not the first time this has happened. This kind of came as a surprise, you know, Benioff and Weiss. I, well, I, I shouldn't even say that because it was when, like you said, when they announced the Feige thing, I think even last show, I was like, yo, I don't see Benioff and wife or, wife, Benioff or Weiss and Ryan Johnson. I don't see either of those trilogies happening now. Um, mm-hmm. At least I don't see them happening before we get a Kevin Feige movie or trilogy. So, mm-hmm. but does this does this whole thing make you think that reinforce the fact that Lucasfilm may be in a little a little trouble? Like they don't know exactly know what they're doing because this is not the first time we had, you know, Ke- Colin well, Trevorrow that they, that... got taken off of uh, Episode Nine. You had um, uh, Lord and Miller get fired from uh, Solo. Um, you had uh, who was who was attached to? Um, oh. Uh, Tony Gilroy came back like we talked about last show Tony Gilroy came and basically rewrote and you know reshot a lot of Rogue One so it's, mm-hmm. it's this this type of this type of directorial drama involved with Lucasfilm this isn't new so 
is this is this a sign to you that there's still like turmoil like they don't exactly know what the hell they're doing well there's a difference between not knowing what they're what not, not knowing what they're doing and not knowing what to do mm-hmm. to me it's more indicative of not knowing what to do explain <laughs> well, Tell do you see you those? Mean, do you Spock. see those as mutual? Well, first, do you see those as mutually exclusive? I, no, I, things? I, 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 yeah, I get your point. There's a difference there. There's a difference there because they've executed other things well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they also do video games. You know, they also and and right. I'm talking uh, strictly about from their video film. Games. I'm talking they've strictly got, about they've got, film. Well, but but that's the thing too. I mean, Lucasfilm is all of these all of this stuff. Right. You know, they just opened a, a, a they just opened a um, in Disneyland. Um, I forget what it's called, but a but a, Galaxy's a very Edge. immersive, Galaxy's Edge. yeah. Which they've had problem the theme at Disneyland that, to get too. done. There's been problems with that. You know, people are saying it's overpriced. The experience really ain't all that. You know, I've heard problems. Mm-hmm. But my, but we we're focusing. I'm talking specifically about the films because really we can talk about all this other stuff. The the foundation well, of this sure. is the films. Okay, so let's talk about the films. So, so I think it's I think it's more indicative of not knowing what direction to go in. Right. Agreed. Um, when they decide to execute something, it does get executed. Um, Solo, I I actually don't have a problem with Solo. I like Solo better than Attack of the Clones, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Solo better than The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. That's not saying much. Um, <laughs> but, not, but, I know but, how you but feel no, about the But last no, Jedi. but both of those films that I just mentioned are canon. Right. Um, not knowing, not knowing what to do after the Star Wars saga mm-hmm. is something that is probably hotly debated right now, mm-hmm. even as we record this show. Well, and see, that's 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 one of the issues tangential to what we're talking about. One of my issues is that. This Rise of Skywalker is being touted as the end of the Skywalker saga. There's a fundamental problem with that, though, because for me, and I think so for you, too, because these people and I tweeted about this a week or two ago, these people who are the main characters, including Kylo Ren of the who has Skywalker blood. But these characters, the lead characters of this new trilogy, I don't feel they connect to the Skywalker saga. I don't I don't feel that they should be in charge of ending the Skywalker saga. It sounds very, mm-hmm. I think my tweet was that it feels like, you know, a bunch of strangers are, you know, saying they are now the end of your fam, you know, who you consider fam. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to see this trilogy in or see the whole Skywalker saga in that began in 1977 to see it end with Ray and Poe and Finn and Kylo Ren, huh? You know what I'm saying? And, and a bunch of droids that I don't recognize, you know, BB-8 and, you know, the other dude that I'm like, I, you know, it's like, why are they? And then everybody who should be in, you know, you got Chewbacca and Lando, they're in the background somewhere and not really doing anything. And then Leia, you know, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, Carrie Fisher passed away. But even in the first two films, you know, she was there, but it was like, you know, I, I just don't feel that they these people should be ending this trilogy but anyway that's 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 the whole nother conversation my question as far as this whole benioff and white's thing is that one i didn't feel like it was a surprise because again i said i kind of saw this coming and i think a lot of people saw this coming 
One, mm-hmm. because of the Kevin Foggy announcement, but then also because of the fact that Benioff and Y signed that Netflix deal in August. So they signed a $250 million development deal with Netflix, five-year development deal. So they're supposed to be developing a bunch of um, television shows and whatever, you know, for Netflix over the next five years. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the writing was kind of on the wall. Then like, hold up, how are you going to do both of these things at once? So I feel like this breaks off into two different things. One, did Benioff and Weiss get dropped by Star Wars or two did Star or did uh, uh, Star Wars get dropped by Benioff and Weiss. So if you look at those, look at it from that angle, you say, okay, why would Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm get rid of Benioff and Weiss? And mm-hmm. the Hollywood reporter, I think was the first ones that broke all of this and they speculated or they, I can't even say speculate because they, according to them, they got it from sources close to all this, but mm-hmm. they're saying that, listen, Kathleen Kennedy was concerned about the fact that, Benioff and Weiss were not going to be able to fulfill their agreement with Netflix and fulfill their agreement with Star Wars at the same time. Mm -hmm. And she was upset about the Netflix deal because they signed the Star Wars joint or, you know, that was back in February of 2018. And then at the beginning, I think of this summer is when they started shopping themselves around for this development deal, which Disney Mm. was kind of involved. They were one of the bidders to say, okay, we want you guys to develop shit for us for the next five years as well. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. in the end, it was, you know, Disney, Amazon. I don't know if Apple was involved or if they were one of the bidders, but um, Netflix got involved and Netflix, you know, won. They were like, OK, we'll give you 250, you know, develop stuff, stuff for us. So Kathleen Kennedy, um, according to these sources that The Hollywood Reporter cited, she was upset about that. You know, she was concerned about that fact. Um, so if you look at it from that point of view, you see, OK, if I'm Lucasfilm, I would be concerned, too. I just gave you a bunch of money to, you know, to not only to do a star Wars trilogy, but really right to be the first ones to do a trilogy to basically stake to out, de- to define, right, to yeah. stake out the next era behind, uh-huh. you know, this is the first time we're walking away from the Skywalker. So I'm putting in air quotes because who knows, you know what I'm saying? They could say they're walking. This is the end of the Skywalker and it may not be. I think they said that at the, at the, uh, revenge of the Sith, I think they said that was going to be the end of, you know, the last kind of Skywalker thing too. Of course it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, if this is actually the end of the Skywalker um, uh, era, though, Benioff and Weiss were given the reins to go ahead and create the next era of Star Wars. That's huge. That's big. That's life. You ain't got time for nothing else when you're doing that. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're mm-hmm. committing yourself mm-hmm. to something like we're doing this full time for the next several, you know, four or five years or whatever. So yeah. I get, you know, Lucasfilm, if they were upset when all of a sudden it's like, hold up. Now you have a Netflix deal. You know, and now you have to develop all this content for Netflix. How are you going to do these two things at once? Because part of it, uh, according to this source in the uh, in the in the article and the reporter, the Hollywood Reporter, this source said that part of the Netflix deal was that they couldn't when they were actually creating content for Netflix, when that stuff was being produced, they had to be on set. They could not be off doing Star Wars stuff while their shit was getting filmed. So uh-huh. you can't be in two. Obviously, you can't be in two places at one time. So I can understand Lucasfilm having a fundamental problem with that. You see what I'm saying? I do. I do. Um, that's I mean that's that's one reason. And then also, listen, just to throw it in while you while you're while you're chewing on that, here's another thought from the Lucasfilm perspective: the fact that when they signed that deal in February 2018, that was prior to the last season of Game of Thrones. I'm not a Game right. of Thrones head. You are a Game of Thrones head. I've watched maybe. I watched the first couple seasons, I think, and then I watched some of the last season. But mm-hmm. I know just like everybody else listening to this knows and everybody on the planet knows there was a lot of heat 
thrown at Benioff yeah. and Weiss based on that last season Game of Thrones. A lot of people were upset that it didn't live up to any kind of expectations that they wanted it to live up to. They felt like it was just right, flat because and whack. <laughs> Basically, because right. there was no, there was no, there, right? There was no books. There was no Martin material to base the scripts on. Right. That was one. Of, yeah. On. That was one of the things I heard. You know, thrown out there as to why it was so kind of watered down and weak. So my question that if you look at if you're on Lucasfilm side, you're saying okay, we've already gotten all this heat from Solo. You know that the, the, yeah. the Solo debacle made us cancel our plans for other you know standalone films. So we've gotten that. Then we got all this enormous fan divisive fan splitting heat over uh, the last Jedi. So now do we want to bring in these guys who got heat? They, they bring in more heat, you know what I'm saying? They bring in their own baggage into this mm-hmm. situation with the game of throwing. Do we want to bring them into the fold now after that? And then, you know, they're in charge of this next trilogy. So though, you know what I'm saying? Those are factors that are on, you know, if you're Lucasfilm, that could be that could have weighed into their decision if in fact they were the ones to say you know we need to end this here's here's x amount of dollars cancel the contract you know peace we'll see off we see off yeah i would i based off your explanation i wouldn't be surprised if it was lucasfilm that either canceled the deal or gave them an ultimatum mm. and they went with netflix mm. um I never thought that Benioff and Weiss were good for Star Wars. Why? Because did you think this? The good Game of Thrones episodes were based off of George R. R. Material that yeah, and we haven't like what have we seen other than two shoddy seasons of Game of Thrones? that say that these guys know how to create characters, much less a story. Mm-hmm. Right. They didn't create, I if mean, they, they can't continue just, a story and characters that they already had. I'm guessing that well, there, there had to be a couple of composite characters or something like that, that they probably created, but the, the majority of all or those created, those characters came from George R. R. Martin, right? You know, or, or, or is, or is the next trilogy going to be based on, one of the main characters or minor but one of the characters from the rise of skywalker like mm. what you know what's next is the next is the next and you know and hear me out i get that the star wars saga is supposed to be done cool mm-hmm. let's just say that it is done mm-hmm. right are we start where are we starting from we have to start from some point of familiarity mm-hmm. Right. Is, this gonna, from, is, this, is a seed going to be planted in episode nine that brings us, you know, into this next era? Some right. people are saying it from was. A book, some people are saying it was a, uh, Broom Boy at the end of uh, episode eight, at the end of uh, Last Jedi. Like that was the seed to say, okay, it's not just about the Skywalkers. You know, anybody mm-hmm. can be the chosen one or whatever. So, and, or maybe maybe Ray is that seed. I don't know, but I, I get your point. Yeah, we're not going to start completely from scratch. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think that you can. I mean, to quote. Dash Incredible from the first Incredibles movie, it's like if everybody's special, that means nobody is. Mm-hmm. So you have to have you have to have some sort of and maybe it is Broom Boy. Maybe he's <laughs> does he have force powers? I mean, I don't God know. Helpless. Right? <laughs> right. You know, but but even the Mandalorian, I mean the Mandalorian 
is you you never you never knew that Boba Fett was a Mandalorian mm-hmm. first, right? The only the first time that the first time that 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 I heard of the Mandalorian was Sabine in Star Wars Rebels. Mm-hmm. No, and they, they kind of got a little no, bit into prominent. her history. They're prominent in Clone Wars though too. You heard you heard about them in Clone Wars because remember that was oh yeah that's whole, right that's right that's right Obi Wan arc with the his mistress. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's right. 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 Forgive me. Forgive me. But my point. But my point still holds that 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 here's a television show that's based off of what otherwise would be an ancillary character mm-hmm. in a cartoon. Mm-hmm. So I feel that you need some sort of base that comes from the Star Wars saga in order to develop. Another trilogy. Okay, but all that somebody that's connected to him, whether it's Ahsoka, whether it's Thrawn, I mean somebody mm-hmm. that's connected, that's connected right. to one of these one of these arms that 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 feed from from Skywalker. So that said, you you you're saying that you don't feel like Benioff and Weiss are capable of creating a new. You know, they they need a seed, but even then, they're not capable of creating that new cast of characters. I don't have any. I don't have any evidence of right. that. You have more evidence from Kevin Feige, right? Well, I or mean, even 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 Dave Filoni, that yeah, that Dave some some wider art can be can be developed right. I mean, from the scene. Yeah, I wouldn't give Feige the the credit of creating new characters, obviously, because all of these characters that in the MCU are you know have decades and decades of story. Um, my question, though, I guess from also from the Lucasfilm point of view, if it's, it was if it was them, in fact, who went ahead and initiated this this uh, severing of ties to Benioff and Weiss. There is that Kevin Feige element of saying, okay, we've, you know, we've had all these setbacks over the last, you know, three years with these different directors and, well, not producers, but different directors and storytellers. We need to get this, this ship on the right track. We need to get this train on the right track. So if they, when they announced Kevin Feige last month, when they announced his, um, and like you said, I think it's just a standalone film right now. They haven't said anything about a trilogy. They just said a film. He's producing a film in partnership Mm -hmm. with um, Kathleen Mm -hmm. Kennedy that to me like i said last episode the writing's on the wall because you're not going to announce that in fall of 2019 and then say yeah you got to wait 8 years until you get that you know you got to wait till after the Benioff and Weiss trilogy or we're going to wait you know another 4 years you know let the Benioff and Weiss thing get on its feet and then we'll drop the Kevin you're not going to announce that you're not putting right. Kevin Feige behind anybody so if you have that in your pocket though as Lucasfilm i think that's them saying we're going to have him do this one film and then lay the groundwork for the next films. And we're going to Benioff and Weiss did this Netflix deal. We're not happy about that. So let's drop them, have Kevin, you know, do his film and then lay the groundwork and we'll go find other filmmakers or let Kevin find other filmmakers um, to help us with that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all, Arthur, if um, after Rise of Skywalker drops, say maybe February after the kind of the, the initial, you know, um, hoopla is over with that film. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Kathleen Kennedy announces that um, she's stepping down or moving on to other projects and she's mm-hmm. no longer the head of Lucasfilm. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, who mm-hmm. they would put as the head of Lucasfilm, I don't know, but that wouldn't surprise me at all. So right now, and she could stay, she could leave Lucasfilm as the head and still produce a film for Lucasfilm. She could still, you know, produce this film with Kevin Feige. But mm-hmm. I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if she steps down. I think Kevin Feige's role is going to be not only for this one film, 
he's even if he's not the head producer, I see him laying the groundwork for the next era of Star Wars films. So for Benioff and Weiss, again, if you're Lucasfilm, this is one more reason. Once you got Kevin Feige to agree to that, this is one more reason why, you know what? Let's say peace to be in Benioff and Weiss. Let's let's let them go. Tell Ryan Johnson we don't need him. You know, if he wants to direct a film that we that we lay the groundwork for, cool. But he we don't need him to do his own trilogy or whatever. None of that would surprise me. Here's my thing, though. Here's my question, though, to you. We're assuming, and I think you know everything that we've seen is kind of lead, lend credence to the fact that it was it was Lucasfilm that let Benioff and Weiss go. But yeah. what if it just what if for a second? What if it was Benioff and Weiss that was like, you know what, we don't want to deal with the Star Wars thing anymore, because the one the kind of the one rumor or the one kind of unconfirmed from a source that doesn't want to give their name, blah 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 type thing, is that mm-hmm. they did not want to deal. Benioff and Weiss did not want to deal with the toxic fandom of Star Wars. If you look <laughs> at what happened with Solo, you know after that mm-hmm. film was dropped, if you look at the hate that um the actress that plays uh rose in last jedi received some of the hate that um finn has that um my man uh whatchamacallit has received for playing when he was the first face remember the first trailer for um the force awakens the first person that we see yeah um, how do you how could you forget right, the first this is this is the new face of this star is wars the new face of star wars is a black man mm-hmm. you know he received a lot of hate um even uh uh ray received a lot of hate, you know what I'm saying, for being the chosen one, a female being the chosen one. And she's just, I forgot the term they use, but basically just saying that she doesn't deserve it and that she's just a pretty face for this, you know, for this franchise. If you look at the the divisiveness, like I said earlier, of The Last Jedi, a film that neither you nor I like at all, but I still respect other people's opinion to dig it. This, mm-hmm. that, that film, you know, it's, it, the vitriol that came at Ryan Johnson because that film it was un- unbelievable. So the question for, I mean, for Benioff and Weiss is really not that hard to imagine them saying, okay, we just had to deal with all this shit from Game of Thrones last season. Yeah. We got this 250 mil from Netflix. Is it worth it? You know, to, to, to step into that cauldron of Star Wars, you know, even though Star Wars is regarded as like the Holy Grail. I mean, if you're that type of storyteller in Hollywood, if those, if those, if that, if unreal storytelling is what you do, well, that's that's like the holy grail i mean that's possible but but because because the star wars saga is is ending whatever the next trilogy looks like would not include those actual actors those actual characters granted i'm saying that you still need something you need some kind of character that we're familiar with Mm -hmm but it doesn't have to be Kylo Ren. It doesn't have to be Luke Skywalker. It doesn't have to be Lando. You see what I'm saying? This, this, this current trilogy needed, needed, needed the historical Hamill, um, Hamill Ford Fisher grouping Mm -hmm. in order to legitimize these last three films. And the next trilogy is a blank. The next one is designed to be a clean slate. So to me, that's mm-hmm. kind of removed. The problems with Solo had to do with the origin story of Han, of Han Solo. Um, nobody you, had a problem with you, Rogue but One. You, but you get why it's almost like a lose-lose situation, though. Because, yeah, it's a clean slate. We're not anchored to any all this other crap that's happened over the last four years, five years, whatever, whatever. But if you're looking at, if you regard a fandom as toxic, if you're saying a, it's toxic, yeah. if that means that 
no matter what the hell we do, that shit is going to be toxic. So it doesn't matter. We do the greatest film ever. If there's one thing in that film people don't like, the hate is just going to, you know, come at us from all different directions. Listen, I don't disagree with you, but I still say, I mean, there's there's evidence to the contrary. You know, the it, it, and okay, they're cartoons, but Clone Wars mm-hmm. and Rebels well received didn't get all that well received. Have beloved characters, people would love to see an Ahsoka movie. Mm-hmm. Well received, right? You, I'm not arguing with that point, but you know, Favreau's Mandalorian. I mean, we'll have to see, but yeah. we're it's highly, highly anticipated, anticipated, and from what we've seen, we're excited about mm-hmm. it. Part of that anticipation, it must be said, though, is a lot of people feeling like, okay, this is Star Wars getting back on track. You know, all this Mm -hmm. other bullshit has been going on. We're finally getting back on track. But let me let me ask you, do you is if when you hear the words toxic fandom attached to Star Wars, do you completely disagree with that? Or do you see some some credence in that? That Yeah, the fandom has gotten a little toxic, if not completely toxic. It's gotten it's gotten a little toxic. I, I do believe that it's gotten toxic, okay, so, but if you pardon the irony, I think there is a new hope with a new trilogy that's not attached carrying to that. over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I I tend to agree with you, but I again seeing it from Benioff and Weiss's point of view, putting myself in their shoes, because you got to remember what I was going to say a minute ago. They they had um, after the last season of Game of Thrones. I think they were scheduled to be at some comic con. I think the San Diego comic con, mm-hmm. they were scheduled to be there mm-hmm. to do like a, you know, a wrap up and be like, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be just a huge Q and a type thing of, Hey, we, you know, just ended this epic, you know, uh, eight season or whatever show, you know, monumental iconic show. And after all that vitriol kind of got thrown at them for that last season, they pulled out of that appearance. You know, they, we're not going, you know? So again, I mean, <laughs> uh-huh. and, and you know, it's like, yeah. I don't, I can't say what I would do if I was in their position, but I, I can, I have to just putting myself in their shoes. I say, okay, I kind of get that. Like, you don't want to just sit there and have motherfuckers throw hate at you, you know what I'm saying? For two hours based on something that you created. I, I saw a couple of episodes of the last season of game of Thrones and I, you know, not being a game of Thrones head, it didn't affect me the way I'm sure that it affected you and other people, but I could see the flaws. I was like, okay, this doesn't, this mm-hmm. seems like really kind of uh, anticlimactic, but if you take the mindset of Benioff and Weiss coming from that, you know what I'm saying? Coming from that experience, now stepping into this, like you're saying, okay, it's a clean slate, but these aren't brand new fans. These are the, you know, it's not like, it's not like the yeah. Skywalker saga is going to end the fan saga. It's not, it's not like the next trilogy gets brand new fans. The, that fandom is going to carry over into this next trilogy. And they're going to be That's true, but like, you got to oh, admit, you got to admit though, it's a hell of a risk to reward situation. It because is, oh, if you hit. Yeah, you hit. Yeah. I mean, just signing your name on the contract is the reward. God, I don't know right, how much money right. they got, but you know, yeah. Right. Now, full I disclosure, there, I, 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 can't, I, I can't haven't, argue I haven't, that. yeah, I, I haven't fully forgiven Benioff and Rice from, from actually contemplating doing, yeah, I know what you're about to say. Yeah, doing a, doing, doing a show that's based on if the union didn't win the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And black people were still enslaved, and how that was going to go? Like yeah, that whole debacle. You don't get to do that. Yeah, that whole bullshit. What was it called? Confederate. You don't get to do that. I think it was going was to be called. I think it was called Confederate. Yeah. yeah. And they basically then so, paraded their black friends. Like, no, it's okay because we have these other black people involved. Um, I forgot the name of that, right. that production. Right. Team, but. And, and and Star. Yeah. And Star Wars. You know, 
still has a color problem. Right. Yeah. Now we'll see what they do with Finn and and you know and the sister on the horse. But <laughs> don't forget about still, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Right. 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 So uh, you know what that brings. You know, let me let me get into. There's one other question I want to bring up, and you just led me right to it. Is that if okay? So Benny Offenweiss walking away from this. And other than Kevin Feige, we really don't know who is getting the reins of the films. We don't even mm-hmm. know at this point if because the Benioff and Weiss thing was uh, scheduled to jump off in 2022, which to me is mm-hmm. too early because I feel like we need a we need a break. Like, OK, this is 2019 and then the Skywalker saga. Let's wait four or five years before you jump into something new. You know, let some let some air circulate in the room. Let people get excited. Um, let's see what happens on Disney Plus with Mandalorian and Obi Wan and Andor and all these things. Um, you know, we've got Star Wars in our lives, so it's cool if you wait five years, even six years, before the next you know major trilogy jumps off. But anyway, twenty twenty two is when they were scheduled to do the Benioff and Weiss thing. So Kevin Feige, we don't know if Kevin Feige's thing is going to take that slot. I, I would say no. I would say it's right. probably going to be 2023 or 2024. But let me ask you this. Who do you think? I mean, is there a director out there that you think is best positioned to bring color into the Star Wars universe? Because that is a fundamental issue. We've talked about it before. It's a fundamental issue on Star Wars. It's a fundamental issue with Game of Thrones. With any of these universes that these directors, writers, producers have created that is not based on our universe, but their points of view, their mm-hmm. worldviews as creators, as human beings, gets is, is carried over into the things they create. So when you watch Game of Thrones and there's like five black people over the course of like eight seasons, you can see, OK, that's Benioff and Weiss's. That's their worldview reflected. When you watch Star Wars and Lando... Um, Finn, who other, what other major, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Rose, um, I, you know, I can't really, I, I'm trying to think of any other major people of color uh, characters that were portrayed by people of color within the Star Wars universe. When you see that, how few of them there are, there are in a made up universe, a universe that is mm-hmm. not constricted mm-hmm. to the, um, the tragedies and the, uh, uh, the horrors of our, of Western society when you see that reflected in their, their universe, you see that, okay, this is their worldview being reflected in their fiction. So it's a bit, it's past time. It's way, way past time where we corrected that problem. And you don't just get one token person of color in a star Wars film. We need a flood of them. You know, we need to see a lot of them right? and we need to see them in prominent roles. This is something I think we'll talk about when we do our Finn show based on, you know, after we see uh, uh, episode nine, but it's a travesty to me that Finn was mm-hmm. not the chosen one or the co-chosen, yeah, one, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, right. the, the chosen half, you know? So right. who, is there anybody out there now that Benny Off and Wife has, has moved away? Kevin Feige is a producer. He's not going to direct the next film. He may tap somebody. Who can we get in here? Who's going to insert some color into star Wars? My, my Ooh. thought, my thought was, um, uh, Ava DuVernay, but I believe she's so she's tied up with the DC film. Ryan Coogler. Ryan Coogler. I knew you were going to go there. You know, I'm not mad at that. But here's my question. Here's my question. To you with that? Ryan Coogler is doing Black Panther two, which comes out yeah. in what 2022. Uh huh. So he's tied up for the next couple of years, at least the next year and a half. You know, and if you saw um, Creed, the first Creed film. Yeah. If you saw um, 
Fruitvale Station, you understand how talented this dude is outside of, <clears throat> excuse me, outside of the Unreal world. And I'm not, yeah, obviously on this show, you'll never hear me denigrate Unrealism or, you know, comic book films, whatever, however you want to phrase it. But at the same time, I would like to see Ryan Coogler do something. I don't want to see him only do these type of films. I would like to see him because he has a he has a broad range. So do you want to mm-hmm. see him move from, you know, Marvel to Star Wars? Because that's what you're you know, that's and once he gets in Star Wars. Uh, it's yeah, like, that is what I'm suggesting. His life basically wrapped up. Um, yeah, but it doesn't have to be. If he's mapping out, if he maps out the next trilogy. You know, it will be. That's that's five years. That's five to eight years of your life, man. It's like you can't. That's what's again. That's what we were just talking about a minute ago. That's probably one of the reasons. But I mean, Weiss, outside of outside of, outside of Lucas himself, what director has done three Star Wars films? Like, what director has done a complete trilogy? We've had three of them. That's that's an excellent point. Outside of Lucas himself, what creator, what artist has mapped out? You know, what I'm saying the broad right. range. Of, I can only think of one person. Right. You know who I'm gonna say, right? It's not. It's, it's not film. It's not film. It's Dave Filoni. That's the only person. Oh, yeah. And that's the only person within Lucasfilm, in my opinion, yeah. who has been able to say, okay, I'm not just gonna do this one individual Star Wars project. I'm going mm-hmm. to map out this part of this universe and tell these stories through this lens, and the shit is gonna be hot. That's the only person. Who's I mean, done that. I think, I think Cougar could 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 plant you know a hell of a tent pole i mean a hell of a marker mm-hmm. to show what direction the next trilogy can go in mm-hmm. but I, and you know what i think to back to my earlier point i think that's what feige has probably been brought in to do it's like look we know you're the head of mcu we're not asking you to come over and also be the head of lucasfilm there's no again to like benny off and white said in their press release there's only 24 hours in a day but if he can go ahead and, and set that tone, you know, and mm-hmm. set the tone for what's going to happen and go ahead and lay out a broad stroke narrative, then, yeah, I could see him and Ryan Coogler working together to do that. Yeah, because, I mean, let's say let's just let's just already call it and say that Black Panther 2 <clears throat> is as good, if not better than the first Black Panther film. Mm. Right. Uh, Coogler has got a solid working relationship with Kevin Feige. And he has immersed himself already in a made-up world Mm -hmm. and have had multidimensional black characters, but characters of color and been able to tell this story. Been able to tell allegorical stories. And have it it be able to sneamlessly snap in Mm -hmm. to the MCU. To other properties. Yeah. Right. And like I said, been able to tell an allegory that reflected you know what we're going through in real world issues which yeah i mean if anything if anything coogler has elevated t'challa mm. oh yeah yeah i mean within the yeah within the mainstream absolutely yeah or even within a narrative scope i can i'm not a black panther you know comic book aficionado so I'm, i don't want to venture too far in that territory because i'm not sure what has come before that but yeah i would guess that and you know you're probably correct and even in the sense of the narrative He's added some layers and some depth. Um, yeah, that may have if not if even if they existed before, he probably added to that. I mean, when you saw Infinity War and they went and and Captain America went to Wakanda, mm-hmm. you know, in the theater I was at, it was like there were 
people clapping, oh, yay, yeah, yeah. and all that. And, and, and Captain America was at the same level as T'Challa was. <laughs> to harken back to you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't get that. Right. You wouldn't get that if Black Panther wasn't such a success. Right. To harken back film. though to what you said in the the cold opening, as soon as you've heard those drums, <laughs> you know, and he was like when Captain America was like, "Yo, I, I think I know a guy," and right. then you heard the drums. She's like, "Oh shit." Um, but right. here, let me ask you this though, man. I think this is important, you know. And I know we have to move on, but I think yeah. this is important to this this topic. And you kind of brought you hinted to this when you brought up George Lucas, and I, you know, I do think Dave Filoni is the closest thing to George Lucas, um, you know, that that Lucasfilm has. And you know, there's been a lot of people saying, look, he needs to be in charge of Lucasfilm. I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if he would be a good studio head, and maybe he's, or maybe he's just be in charge of, you know, strictly creative. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm a big proponent of 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 of, of being in your lane, and I, I just don't know if Feige's lane is is Star Wars. Right. But here's my question, though: Is that you bringing that up made me think about this? George Lucas, this was his, this was his life. You know what I'm saying? This Star mm, Wars mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. his life. It wasn't like, you know, he did other films. You know, obviously, you know, he's, he, you know, Indiana Jones. There wouldn't be Indiana Raiders, Jones without yeah. this dude. He did other things, but Star Wars was his life. And I feel that for someone to come in and successfully not just do one film, because really Tony Gilroy and Gareth Edwards were successful with Rogue One. You know what I'm saying? That was mm-hmm. one film. I That's one. That's my favorite of all the new stuff. Yeah. Um, of all the new films so you can do a successful Star Wars film but to really lay out this next era era of Star Wars films to lay out the next trilogy to say okay the Skywalker thing is done what George Lucas created in 1977 and has lasted not only in the films but through all these books comic books games everything mm-hmm, for the last mm-hmm. you know for these last few decades okay that's over now we need to create something new that can add, you know, that can be the the next thing to do that. I just don't think that Lucasfilm can bring in, Hey, let's go hire this guy or this woman and they'll come in and do this and then they'll leave. And then somebody will do that. It takes a special, it takes a special person. And I think it takes somebody who's going to live and breathe this. And that's what mm-hmm. I said. I think Dave Filoni is the closest, but he, you know, I, he may just be cool in his lane doing what he's doing with the animation you know, the television and with the streaming. And you're right. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm mad at that, because like I said, Clone Wars is, is, is um, you know, my second favorite after Empire Strikes Back is my second favorite Star Wars thing ever. But, to, if, you know, if this next era is so crucial. I, I really don't know. And I think that's why Kevin Feige has been brought in, because he may be the closest thing to it other than somebody who was living and breathing this 24 seven, what he's done with mm-hmm. the MCU is because he lives and breathes it. You know, saying that's this thing, you know, that's he's the George Lucas of that shit. Um, so it's going to be interesting, but I know, I know we need to move on, but I think, I really do think that, you know, I, I think the Hollywood Reporter is right. I think it was, you know, Lucasfilm who, who initiated the sever- the severing of ties between themselves and Benioff and Weiss, but I can't see Benioff and Weiss's, you know, not being really mad at that fact, you know, not really hating on the fact that they have to, you know, step away from Star Wars. I just don't think that it holds the, the appeal that it maybe did, you know, three or four years ago. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, what's next? All right. We're going to jump from Marvel to DC and uh, HBO. Oh, okay, well, we're talking about Kevin Feige. Oh, okay. I mean, you say Kevin Feige, the first thing I'm thinking right, about is right, yeah, Star Wars. Even right. if we have, as we did, had a 10-minute conversation, 15-minute conversation on Star Wars. Right. So 
We're switching properties, and uh, we're going to DC and talk about Watchmen, the new HBO series mm-hmm. um, starring Regina King. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm alone in this. No, I'm not. You know, I mean, I, I, I love, you can't. You really can't not love Regina King. I mean, you know, what I'm saying she's part of the culture. It's like I love Regina King, but you know, I okay. So you. You so look, so let me one. just. There's been two as, yeah, of, I, as I, of this recording. There's only been two episodes dropped. The third one dropped correct. tonight. Correct. And and I'm at a. I think I'm at an advantage mm-hmm. in this conversation because while I own um, the Alan Moore graphic novel, you've never read it. I've not. I haven't read oh, it. Oh, okay. All right. So you you one of those. <laughs> so I'm not. That's I'm right. You bought it so and I'm put not, it on I'm your not, coffee table. Like yeah, see, I'm I'm you know I have literature. I have comic book. Literature. Well, I'm trying to read all that. I'm trying to read all that daredevil stuff. You've been you've been. <laughs> you got to read. Come on, man. I'm telling you. Listen, Watchmen. I'm listen. I'm I'm more. You know, in the late '80s, it was basically you know the two graphic novels that you know were heard all around the world. Basically, were Watchmen. You know, I should say limited series. They weren't graphic novels at the mm-hmm. time. The limited series. Yeah. Watchmen and I think Watchmen was a year after um the Dark Knight. So mm-hmm. yeah, I you know, I was more of a Dark Knight person. You know what I'm saying? Frank mm-hmm. Miller had more impact on me than Alan Moore in the late eighties. And yeah, that was because of Dark Knight and then the Daredevil um Daredevil. six issue or whatever uh that's been com- collected as Born Again. Um so you you haven't made it through any of these? I know you read Dark Knight. Yeah, I read Dark Knight. Um um I don't know a third halfway through uh born again okay all right and then you move on all Watchmen. so you you sat down yeah. and watched episode one of hbo's Watchmen without any context without any context that's right okay uh, the only context was that there was a film and i saw the previews okay so you've never even seen the movie no okay. i've never seen all the right, movie good. okay so that's why i say i feel like i'm at an advantage because i've got complete fresh eyes mm-hmm. on this i don't have anything to compare it to and what's your take and on, sometimes what's your take on episode one I'm I'm really intrigued. Okay, what I'm really intrigued. What was it? I mean, because it was. Listen, if if anybody hasn't seen it, for the, you know, I guess if you haven't seen it, because we're going to get into some spoilers. So if you haven't seen it and you plan on seeing it, um, actually, you know what? Fuck that. We, do do you want to do spoilers? I, I'll, maybe we should stay spoiler free. It's only been two weeks. Yeah, let's let's, uh, stay, let's spoiler stay spoiler free, free okay, until so. maybe until the series is over. We got all of okay, so we'll, we got we'll stay spoiler free. But I will say that so you can keep listening. If you stop listening, come back. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Somehow, right, right. if you hear me, hear my voice, and come back. Um, <laughs> but if you the first episode was if we can't say without even giving any spoilers, we can say it was weird as hell. Right, it was weird. It was different. Yeah, yeah, and I I really didn't. You know, I think it was about maybe the third act that I really began to fit it all together into what this was about. Mm-hmm. Um, the what really threw me was the opening. Right. How the opening. Um, we can say that because it was the first, you know, twenty seconds. So it's like, and it's been widely reported that the open, the opening of Watchmen is in nineteen twenty one during the uh, the massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma, of the black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was one of the most thriving communities in the country, a black communities in the country at that time, um, later became known as Black Wall Street. I hate, you know, I have mm-hmm. issues when they 
you know, put black in front of um, something that's, you know, uh, commonly, you know, known as something being European. And then we put black in front of it. And it kind of, to me, it kind of robs it of our own identity a little bit. Like we have to, you know, associate it with something that's European. I don't like that. But anyway, it's, it was known as Black Wall Street. So that, you know, the the opening of the, the um, Watchmen episode one takes place during this massacre. And a lot of people, mm-hmm. from what I read, a lot of people, mostly white, but I think a lot of black people even had never even heard of this, this massacre, didn't know anything about right. it. Right. Right. And so that you, you sat down and watched it and that's something you weren't expecting to see, even though you knew about the that, massacre. Yeah. I wasn't expecting to see it. And then even, even within that, you have uh, a silent movie that's being shown, um, depicting Bass Reeves, mm. who is said to be the archetype for the Lone Ranger. Mm. Mm. Um, it's a lot of nuance, um, a lot of subtext. Yeah, I was completely, I was completely thrown by it because I'm expecting this to be, I'm expecting this to be a superhero movie, mm-hmm. and then I'm realizing, well, wait a minute, these aren't necessarily superheroes so much as this is an elite, you know, police force basically. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you, it's hard to say, you know, cause I don't want to tell people not to watch this until they've read the graphic novel. I don't think that's, you know, that's not a prerequisite for this. I will say though, um, and this, again, this is not a spoiler. This is, you know, just a setup for the show. This takes place. This is a, this is positioned as a sequel to Alan Moore's Watchmen. So Alan Moore's Watchmen took place in the late eighties. Um, but he, Alan Moore created kind of a, um, different universe, you know, so it was like, I think in the original Watchmen, Nixon was the president, you know, in the late eighties, you know, he had had like mm-hmm. five terms or something like that. So he, yeah, I believe the cold, the cold war, is, right. The cold war is, is this the overarching, the overarching yes, yeah, the, the, the thematic, you know, lays the foundation. It's kind of like the overarching theme for the original Watchmen. Um, so this HBO series, Damon Lindelof's Watchmen takes place modern day, but it's like as if it, it takes place in that same universe of Alan uh-huh. Moore's Watchmen. And it should uh-huh. be noted also that, and this is not a surprise to anybody, Alan Moore has never, you know, liked the fact of any of his work being adapted outside of comic books. You know, he's a very... Oh, even the film. Even the films. He's been he's been hmm. very adamant. Alan Moore is, you know, is is he's very adamant about the fact that he created these things for comic books, you know. Unfortunately uh-huh. um, for him, and maybe even for us, depending upon your point of view, is that Alan Moore um, signed a contract as most writers did in the 80s and even in the 90s and even today, really, um, dealing with comic books that says, hey, you're a work for hire. You're, you know, mm-hmm. we own these characters. Mm-hmm. We own whatever characters you create, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can move on and leave, but we still have these characters and we're going to do with them what we want. So DC, you know, they can do with Watchmen whatever they want and they have, you know, they've they've done movies, couple, they've done a movie, um, they had another, you know, Watchmen um, uh, series of comic books out. Um, and now, you know, we have this Damon Lindelof's HBO Watchmen. So it's not, you know, I, I say that to say that, yeah, this takes place within that same universe. So as I was watching episode one, as someone who read the graphic novel, there were some certain things I understood more probably than you, you know, saying there was some, there was some context that mm-hmm. I had and some references, you know, that were made you know, by Lindelof um, back to the original comic book uh, that back to Alan Moore's work that I got, I understood because I seen it. So did you, I mean, as you were watching episode one, were there things that you were like, what the fuck is this, you know, 
you did were you scratching yeah there were plenty of things in every in in you know in every wtf moment i knew i couched it as okay this is this needs to be placed over here because i'm going to learn about this you know in episode two three four or five mm-hmm. so um Don, um, um lewis gossett jr's character I, I, first it, it's great to see the return of Lu, lewis gossett jr mm-hmm. and don johnson mm. crockett <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was fantastic to see the return Crockett of Don was good, Johnson. don't he? I'm like, man, Crockett yeah. could still, they could do an old man Crockett, you know. Uh, they really show. could. Old man Bonnie Fife show. Burn that filler Michael Thomas. Yeah, it's like they could they could do it again. You know, they couldn't be, you know, he still had that swag. He still people, had that. Yeah, yeah, right. He still had that thing. So, yeah. Good to see Crockett um, back. And Lewis Gossett Jr., right. And so you... I knew that this. I knew that this this episode one was a full on setup mm-hmm. for the rest of the show, and I even saw it as I'd probably need to rewatch the first episode after I got into a few more shows mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to tie it all back to the beginning. Jeremy Irons mm-hmm. is in it. Yeah, and again, without giving anything away, his shit. I, Again, I got it's more, completely disjointed yeah, from the narrative. I got more His whole thing is completely I, disjointed from the narrative. Right, because I I, I kind of know who he is, like who he's supposed to be. I think, but yeah, when you watch it, it's like what? <laughs> it's like it's like uh-huh. what's going? What, what was that? What just happened? Yeah, um, I'll say this though, um, Arthur. I think that I you know the first episode. I, I've watched both episodes that have aired so far. Yeah. Okay. I enjoyed the second episode much more than I just did the first. And reason being is kind of twofold. I love the fact, you know, the first episode, you know, the way it opened. Um, I thought that was, you know, I, I thought it was dope. The fact that, hey, here is something, um, uh, you know, an act of terrorism, you know, that's taking place mm-hmm. in America um, of, you know, a, a, a genocidal act, if you want, if you will, that has, you know, not that's not, you know, taught to our children, you know, something that we have to teach to our children. Um, right. You know, it's not taught in school by and large. So the fact that it opened up with that, you know, I thought that was, that was, that was important, you know, and that, that showed um, actually, um, I know we're not going to have time to do listener questions today, but really quick. Um, one of our listeners hit us with a comment on Twitter about that very point. Uh, my man Starlight in Flight. Starlight in Flight said the fact that the fact that the TV version of Watchmen got Black Wall Street trending is an example of why it's important to not overlook the political power uh, power of art. Um, mm. I'm glad that people are learning about this massacre. So I agree with him. You know, I agree with Starlight in Flight that it's a very it's, it showed the power of you know not just storytelling but comic book storytelling. You know, um, yeah. cause this, this is derived from a, even though that part of the narrative was completely created by Lindelof, you know, is based, it was steeped in comic book lore. So I thought that was important, but I got to say, man, <clears throat> Lindelof, JJ Abrams, um, I think the guy's name is Carlton Cuse. All those, all those guys associated with lost, you know, the, the, the television show lost, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. from 2006, I think it was all these guys come from that school of what they call, you know, the mystery box. In other words, we're going to throw a lot of like mysterious shit at you. And then we'll answer, you know, we'll throw all these questions at you and we'll answer these Mm -hmm. questions later on. Now, if -hmm. you watch Lost, you know, that can be a very frustrating experience at times. And I think if you watch what JJ Abrams has done with force awakens and kind of what it looks like he's doing with, um, rise of Skywalker and, you know, even, 
even though Ryan Johnson did the second, did Last Jedi, he built some of that off of what J.J. Abrams did with Force Awakens. So if you look at and what J.J. Abrams did with um, the second Star Trek movie with the con with the whole con thing in the second Star Trek movie, he has that, you know, that mystery box thing, you know, and I feel like with Damon Lindelof, I haven't absorbed a lot of his work over the years, but I feel like he kind of carries that same aesthetic. So it's like you get thrown a lot of questions, you know, you get thrown yeah. the question of, you know, what happens, I'm not going to spoil it, but what happens in the car uh, with Regina King and her son when they're driving, you know, you get thrown that question and you don't know what mm-hmm. the hell is going on. Now, if you read, if you yeah. read the comic, just with the Watchmen comic, you got kind of an idea of what what's going on, but then, you know, the Jeremy Irons thing, you get thrown a question. It's like all these questions and I'm wondering, and I watched episode two, which I, like I said, I enjoyed that more than episode one, but there's still a lot of questions and I'm, I'm concerned that, um, Lindelof has, you know, if, does he have the capability of answering these questions to our satisfaction? Or is this going to be like lost where you get some kind, you get kind of get an answer, but then you get another bunch of questions with your answer and the answer really wasn't that satisfactory. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you're better at creating questions than you are at, you know, creating Mm -hmm. answers. And that, that mm-hmm. worries me a little bit with um with this series, especially with something that's so can be so esoteric and so abstract as Watchmen. You know, I I don't I don't have a problem with that type of s- storytelling. Um, I get your point because it can get 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 frustrating at times mm-hmm. where it's like you know you need to you need to give me some exposition. I, you can't just give me all of this. Right. Question. Because question, it's question, not, it's no too much stuff for me to even keep track of. <laughs> right. Right. To remember when you reveal what this really, what this really ties back Especially to. Especially if it's a um, weekly drop, if it's not a binge, if it's yeah. a weekly and you wait in a week between each episode. Yeah. 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 But in a way that's kind of like what real life is. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been in scenarios where you've met someone and you know, you've had this really good experience with them. And then somebody else comes up to you and pulls you to the side and say, you know what? You really don't want to mess with that person. <laughs> what is- <laughs> really? Why not? Well, it's not for me to tell you. <laughs> right. You got to find out on your own. Well, right. why'd you tell me in the first place? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. right. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have an immediate problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, um, I, I didn't watch all of Lost. Mm-hmm. It lost either. your interest. So, yeah, because you got tired of the questions. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, he may not but have he it. did some of that. But Abrams did some of that with Alias. I mean, I did see like all of Alias mm-hmm. on ABC. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do get the whole misdirection and I'm just going to drop this here. And you're not really going to find out about it until the third episode of season two. Yeah. I, OK. Yeah. I'm kind of used to that. I mean, I'm, I'm I guess what it is for me is that the initial question has to be interesting enough for me to want to stick around for the answer. And I feel yeah. that for a lot of you know, like for instance, what JJ and again, I'll just keep bringing him up because I feel like him and, and Lindelof are from the same school. A lot of what JJ did in Force Awakens, he was like presenting questions that I was not interested in. You know, like who mm-hmm. is Ray? Mm-hmm. I don't care who uh, Ray yeah, is. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like uh-huh. you haven't you haven't given me enough of her to make me interested in where she comes from. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like Finn. Finn is the biggest blind spot in that whole trilogy. Right, the biggest question. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Again, we'll talk about it later. But yeah, the biggest question within the first arc or the first um, uh, uh, chapter of Force Awakens to me was, you know, how did Finn leave the First Order? You know what I'm saying? How did he break that? That was the question I was interested in. 
And they have spent, they spent zero time on that answer. You know, it just, you know, and that's, that's what I, I feel like when I was watching the first episode of Watchmen, there were questions that were being thrown at me that I really wasn't that invested in. Now I will Mm -hmm. say in episode two, you get some questions and you get, you get a few answers, but you get some questions that have a little bit more weight to them. And to me, especially with Regina King's character, that are more interesting to me than some of what happened in, in episode one. So I'm not yeah. going to stop watching it. I think that it's, you know, I think this is definitely something that um, has improved just within two episodes for me. So I'm hoping that even if episode three is even better than episode two, I'm, I'm all in. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing, though, that concerns me before we move off of this is that the whole, you know, listen, and you and I have talked about this before. We've talked about it on, um, it's been reflected in topics we've had on our sister podcast on, uh, the music snobs on snobs on film. And we've talked about this, you know, in personal conversations for a lot of liberal people, whether they be African American, European American, whatever, for a lot of liberal people, the world ended in 2016. Okay. It was all good before Mm -hmm. that, evidently, but in 2016, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it was just like, Oh my God, how could this happen? Um, you know, this is never, you know, how could this be America? You know, you hear people all the time saying these are the most divisive times. We're living in these divided times. You hear that from a lot of liberals all the time. Now, if you are black, brown, or poor white, if you're an impoverished white person in this country, you know (laughs) that this country has been divisive. We back on, we back on program. (laughs) This country has been divisive for a long time. And in my view, as you know, it was divisive under whether you're talking about under Trump, whether you're talking about under Obama, whether you're talking about under Clinton, Bush, it's been divisive and fucked up for a lot of people for a very long time. So before a lot of liberals, especially liberals and, you know, in well-meaning liberals in Hollywood, you know, the world ended in 2016. So all this rage, you know, has happened over the last you know couple of years. So. I see things like Watchmen, what's, what happens in Watchmen. I see things like Joker, and it makes me feel like, okay, they're painting these really kind of black and white pictures. Like, here are the good guys, here are the bad guys. The bad guys is, you know, anybody who voted for Trump, they're people who, you know, wear, uh, you know, who do certain things, you know, these are the bad guys. And then we're the good guys because we voted for Obama, we believe in diversity. Um, we like Oprah, we like Beyonce, we got Beyonce records and, you know, my kid goes to a school where there's two black kids in the class. I'm good. You know, so I'm a good guy. And so a lot of Mm -hmm. this kind of like those type of liberals, I think are creating this art where it's kind of like, there's no nuance in it. You know, it's just good guys, bad guys. It's just blunt, just blunt, blunt and kind of bland, you know, actually. So I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm watching, watching and I'm wondering, is this going to be another vehicle where we get, you know, because really there's a lot of undertones in this in this, you know, even in the first episode, and you'll definitely see it in the second episode. There's a lot of undertones of the, you know, the, the quote unquote divided times that we're living in, you know, and it's a lot of that mm-hmm. kind of like liberal outrage at what's going on mm-hmm. right now in America. So mm-hmm. the question the kind of the, the fear I have is that we're not going to get the nuance and the um, the position that racism plays, you know, the integral mm-hmm. intrinsic mm-hmm. position that racism plays in America. We're not going to get that. You know, we're just going to get another good guy, bad guy, liberal, conservative, you know, point of view. Okay. And if that plays out throughout this series, then that is as, as appreciative as I am of seeing, you know, the, you know, uh, the massacre in 1921 on, on Black Wall Street. Yeah. As appreciative as I am of seeing that given some light. 
um, as appreciative as I am of seeing what happens in the beginning of episode two, um, another mm-hmm. kind of not overlooked, but just a small piece of World War Two that uh, or World War One um, that you'll see in mm-hmm. episode two. Th- that gets some light and, and I, I, those type of things. It's like I'm appreciative of that. And I want to see more of that. But I'm also like, I don't want to just see, OK, here are the good guys, here are the bad guys. Show me how racism is fundamental in this country and not just reflected in conservatives or people who voted for Trump or people. Okay. You know, it's, okay. it's reflected in everyone, liberals, Democrats, everybody. Now, this is completely laying it at the feet of, of Regina King and, and maybe even Louis Gossett Jr., but more so Regina King, because she's Sister Knight, who at least right now is the main protagonist. Do you think that based on her work as an actor, she can deliver the nuance that we that the story really needs? I believe that because I believe, you know what I mean? You can write words on a page, but then it's like, you know what? That's not really what we say. I believe if the words are on the page, she can do it. But keep in mind, I don't <laughs> as, as I'm sitting as we're sitting here having this conversation. I know that Damon Lindelof, who's European American, uh-huh. white American, uh-huh. I know he is the, uh-huh. the head of the show. I don't know who his writing staff is, so I don't know who is in that room that yeah. I don't know if it was Lindelof that said, yo, let's start episode one with a 1921 massacre. You know, I don't know if that was him. I don't know if it was somebody on his in his writing room. I don't know who else is in that room. So I can't say that the words are not going to be on the page because Lindelof himself may be talented enough to bring that nuance that I'm talking about that I want to see to bring that into the script. He may be he may be capable of doing that himself or he maybe have maybe he has other people in the room, people of color in the room who can do that. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, whether or not he's talented enough to do it or not, I do believe that having, you know, people who come from black culture in the room, in the writer's room is, is um, necessary to bring that certain mm-hmm. nuance to a script. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know with the first two episodes, I don't know. Nothing that I've seen has said definitively that we're going to get that type of nuance in this series. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen things that, you know, and you saw them in the first episode that said, we are going to get some type of nuance. We are going to get history. We are going to get some history that hasn't been shown in mainstream, you know, television um, or comic book storytelling. We're going to get that. And I'm happy about that. Are we going to get the type of nuance that I've described um, a few minutes ago? I don't know. Um, I hope so. Um, Cause that would, that would, that would take this series to another level, but bottom line for me, I enjoy the first two episodes. Um, I'm not 100% sold on this series. Um, there is some kind of like, you know, mystery box kind of esoteric, esotericism that I'm not necessarily happy about. Um, but I do, I've seen enough to make me want to keep watching. Um, are you, let me ask you this. Are you going to, because episode three of the show drops tonight, are you going to watch, you're going to try to go ahead and knock two of them out tonight? Or are you, you going to take your time with this series? Because the thing about HBO is they're dropping these weekly, but you know, they're still available on the streaming service. So you can binge, you can wait, you know, for two or three or four of them to, to um, add up and then binge through them if you want. Yeah. Well, I, my, my wife wants to see the first, the first episode. So if anything else, I'll, I'll rewatch one and then probably watch two. You're such a and good husband. And then be just like one show You're such behind. a good husband, man. It must be said, bro. You're such a good husband. You're going to, you know, you go back and rewatch stuff. I have my moments, <laughs> man. I really have my moments. Yeah. But you know what, though? Shout out because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Nine Inch Nails fan, but shout out to Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for doing the, score mm. for the series because i mean it's, it's 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 pretty funky it is it is funky i will say though there are sometimes 
it's funny, man, because it's like, and I, again, I noticed in episode two where there was sometimes I was like, whoa, that's that's is dope that they brought that that music cue in at that point at that time. But there mm-hmm. are a couple times where it's like, all right, cool. I know you guys know about hip hop. We don't need, you know, just because there's a black person on screen. We don't need we don't need hip hop coming in. <laughs> it's like, you know, we we also created jazz. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> so listen before we before we wrap up um very quickly um maybe we should have done this at the beginning of the show but some some uh house clean housekeeping or maybe even just an announcement with the mandalorian dropping on the 12th um and hopefully all you guys are gonna we don't we don't get money from disney but we are you know we're very excited know, about this wow. disney plus joint i wish we had an affiliate link for the subscription I mean, disney for the listen, pre-order anybody from disney out there <laughs> listening yeah you know put us on the list of people you wanted to advertise for you so yeah we'll we'll take the money um but it'll be clearly marked as an advertisement so we're not doing that right now everything we've said is you know been from the heart but we you know we're excited about this disney plus thing so what we're going to do is that when the mandalorian drops on i think the first episode drops on the 12th second one drops on the 15th correct and then it'll be yeah, november right, and then it'll be fridays from then on so we should have at least two episodes to kind of recap do a quick review on um during every episode of mad unreal from now till um end of december so yeah so you guys get on that um and we'll do you know we're going to keep on top of it and do those reviews and then at the end of november i guess i can go ahead and announce this now right this is um please we we agreed on this so at the end of not november excuse me at the end of december um after you know the mandalorian has wrapped as a you know done its final episode of the of the season and the rise of skywalker comes out december 20th on the 20 on i'm sorry on at the beginning of january new year's day we're going to bring you guys a very 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 special episode um full star wars full um rise of skywalker full mandalorian um complete season one wrap up so look out for that that's going to be a nice little thing to start 2020 with um some mad unreal uh on dropping on a new year's day so that'll be exciting all right. Um, where can they find you? you supposed at? to say keeping it real. Nah, you got to tell them where they can find you at online. Where can they find our Arturius Maximus at online? My Twitter handle is a double R T H U double R. And you can find me at at Isaac Perry on Twitter and Instagram. And very, very, very important. Listen, you guys, you got to we, we appreciate all the love you guys are showing us on Twitter. And we want to keep getting your questions, your comments. We want to involve you guys more with the show. So it's important that you guys hashtag um, any of your questions, any of your comments, any of your thoughts um, that you want us to see and, and include in the show. Hashtag it mad unreal um, so we can make sure we see it. Hashtag it mad unreal on Twitter and we'll include you guys into the show because um, you guys are part of this. Um, we're all part of this. Yeah, the next show, I want to try to get some more listener, uh, yeah, let's, let's, listener yeah, comments. Absolutely. Yeah, let's make sure we have more time for that. So um yeah so that's been uh episode five and we will see you guys soon all right keep it unreal